0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being a part of this service. For all of you who are online and all, on all three campuses that are in person, I welcome you. Today is Valentine's Day, and I'm hoping that you and your sweetheart will have a fun and wonderful day together. And tonight, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but tonight in Houston, Texas, we're gonna get snow. Can you believe it? And what I read today is between four to five inches of snow, I can't believe. This is Houston, Texas. I'm pretty excited about it, quite honestly. Don't drive tomorrow, stay at your house and go and play in the snow. You're gonna have a ton of fun. It's a true story about a woman in Florida, pre-COVID, that was at the mall, and went shopping and she bought all the things she intended to buy. She came back out to the parking lot to her car and there in her car were four men trying to steal her car. They had already gotten into the car and about to drive away. Well, immediately she thought fast. She reached into her handbag, pulled out a gun, pulled out a gun and pointed at these guys and said to them, I have a gun at the top of her voice. I know how to use it. Get out of the car and run for your life. And these four guys with their eyes as big as saucers jumped out of that car as fast as they could and they ran for their life. Now she talked, tough with the gun but the truth inside she was shaking and now they were gone and her hand was shaking she could hardly control it she was trying to get the key into the ignition but she couldn't do it because her hand was shaking so much so she grabbed the her hand with the other hand trying to guide the key into the ignition when she realized this wasn't her car She stepped out of her car, and there was her car five cars away. And as the story actually ends, the car belonged to one of those young men who was in the car. (laughs) Interpersonal relationships are very tough sometimes. Have you noticed that? And over the last year... Has this been the wackiest of all years over the last year? It has been loony of all of the stuff related to a virus. I could not have imagined in my wildest imagination that we'd have to make all the decisions we'd have to make with all the stress and all the difficulty and all the struggle over a virus. And then you put on top of that the racial difficulties and stresses that have happened this year and the presidential election, it has been a hard year for interpersonal relationships. It's been tough. It's been tough for everyone. And I want to talk to you about this very thing because Jesus says, in the midst, in the midst of all of this, I still want my church. To be one. I want my church to have fellowship. I want my church to be one body for me. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. How do we do that? In the midst of all that we're going through, how do we remain one together? Why or how do you get unity with other people in the midst of all the struggle? And that's what we're going to look at today in Philippians chapter two, verses one to four. And so the first part is verses one and two, and I want you to listen to what it says. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose our love for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ means so much a great deal to God that verse one is really talking about this in essence it's saying if being a Christian means anything to you if experiencing the love of God and the forgiveness of God Of having Jesus Christ die on the cross for you. If it means anything to you, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus talked about this very thing in the garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified. And there he is, and he is kneeling, and he's praying and calling out to God so intently that sweat drops of blood started falling from his brow and... He was praying, and John captures the prayer and records it for us in John chapter 17. And in verses 20 and 21, John makes this statement as he's quoting Jesus. Jesus is praying to his Father, and he says that, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. Jesus had the ability to look down through time, and when he did, he saw you, and he saw me. He saw us. He saw Sugar Creek Baptist Church. And he prayed for us. And what was the prayer that he prayed for us? It's verse 21. And he says, my prayer for all of them is that they will be one. Just as you and I are one, Father, that just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us and the world will believe that you sent me. What Jesus is saying is that our unity, our understanding, our care for each other as brothers and sisters of Christ convinces the world that Jesus has something to offer them, that Christianity has something that matters. They need to set up and take notice. But what causes that is our love for each other, our care for each other, our unity with each other. Over the last 12 months, it has been crazy. It has been so stressful. It's been so difficult as we've walked through all of this together. And then with all that took place with the George Floyd murder and all that has happened with the racial tension and everything with the presidential election, it has been a hard, hard year. I'm in a group of pastors, about 10, 15 pastors, depending on the on the week, and most of those are very large churches that are all in Southern Baptist Church, it's in Houston, and we've sat and talked over all this time. Every week we meet and, and we talk about issues that we're facing as we go through this time together. But when it comes to the racial issues, they always look at me, they always turn to me. Because pretty much, though there are different races in all of these churches that are represented every one of them knows Sugar Creek is a unique church. It is a different church than any of their churches. In fact, there are many people that have said to me over the course of the last few years, there aren't five to 10 churches that are as racially diverse as Sugar Creek Baptist Church anywhere in the United States, anywhere in the United States. It is a great privilege to be where we are. It is, it is a great responsibility and opportunity to be where we are. So how in the world did we come to be this church? 18 years ago when I came to be the pastor of Sugar Creek, we, we started doing surveys. We've done many of these surveys over the years and we did two months after I came here. And one of the aspects of the survey is demographics. And what I discovered in that survey is that at that moment, two months after I came, we were 92, 93% white as a church and 7, 8% all other races around the world. But something has happened, has changed in the course of time. The last survey that I took, we turned out, we tripled in size as a church and we turned out that we now were 50% white from 8 from 92 93% white to 50% white 18% african american 17% hispanic and 15% asian how in the world did this transformation take place outside of the supernatural intervention of god i wouldn't have a clue What happened is that early on in my ministry here, God began to lay on my heart to begin to pray. I shared it with other people to begin to pray that Sugar Creek Baptist Church looked like this region. Did you know that Fort Bend County, our county, has been named the most ethnically diverse county in America more than any other county anywhere in this country. Did you know that Houston has just recently been named Greater Houston area? The most ethnically diverse city in America, and that is more than New York City, more than uh, Chicago, more than Los Angeles, Houston, Texas. And what has happened in this church is exactly what we began to pray for, that God would would this church begin to look like this region, Fort Bend County. And now our demographics totally matches the demographics of Fort Bend County. God has done a miracle. How does this happen? I will tell you, it wasn't by strategy. I, I and neither was anybody else smart enough to do it. We just simply ask God, you told us, would you, would you uh, to pray and to ask you to change this church to be what this county is and you have done it. And the only thing I can figure is that when we prayed, God, sort of like a giant magnet over our church began to draw people from every ethnicity, every nationality, every language, every color of skin. Did you know that at Sugar Creek Baptist Church, all of our campuses, we now are represented by 90 people from 90 different countries, 70 different languages. It is absolutely amazing what God has done, And I look at our church and I think the only way this could have happened outside of God's love is that this church full of love opened our arms and said, God, you do whatever you want to do among us and use us to make a difference in this region. And that is exactly what he has done. We are a blessed church. It is a wonderful moment, and here is what I am convinced of. In the next 30 to 50 years, there will then be, across America, hundreds of churches just like ours, thousands of churches just like ours, and it should be. There should be a moment in which the whole family of God can come together in a church and be heaven on earth, arm in arm, loving each other and caring for each other and worshiping the Lord together. This year has been uniquely hurtful and stressful for our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ because of the George Floyd murder and other murders that have happened along with it. It is like it has pulled off a scab and reintroduced a pain that has not been healed. So let me help us to the best I can do to understand the issue. You got to go back 300 years in American history and African Americans have been so mistreated. Go back 300 years and African people were kidnapped, men and women and children kidnapped, brought across the the Atlantic Ocean and then sold as slaves in America. Treated as though they were their cattle and sold and bought in America, mistreated, abused, whipped at will, killed at will. It isn't the America that we know, but it was the America that happened for 150 years. And then when the Civil War was finished and the Emancipation Proclamation was done and slaves were free. For the next 100 years came all the Jim Crow laws that kept African Americans now at the back of the bus. Don't go into this restaurant, that's a white restaurant. Don't go to this restroom, it is a white restroom. And to be hung, not by the tens, but by the hundreds, and not even by the hundreds, by the thousands, to be hung African men and women, African American men and women hung for no reason at the whim of a mob. And crosses put in front of their house, burning crosses telling them, you are hated here, you are not welcome here. Just a few weeks ago, one of our families in our church and I were having a conversation and, and, and the dad told the story of what happened to him when he was just a little boy. His father was doing well financially and they, they wanted to move to, to a, a little bit better neighborhood and they bought a home in that neighborhood. And when they moved in, all of a sudden they wanted to be friendly with other people. They, they they've got a new house, but all of a sudden their neighbors began to come at them and tell them, you don't belong here. This should not be where you live. You need to get out of here, but they didn't move. And they then one day they heard all the yelling and screaming in their front yard and they looked out the windows and there was a cross put in the ground that was burning and hearing people yell and scream at them get out of our neighborhood we don't want you here and if you don't get out we will do something to you you will regret it and they left They left the neighborhood. They were afraid for their lives. But I want you to stop and listen to that for a moment, a burning cross. The cross is the greatest symbol in the universe of the love of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us to pay the penalty for our sin. We just took of the Lord's Supper and acknowledged all of that and celebrated that again today. And he did it not just for some people, but for the whole world. For God so loved the world, not just some, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, red and and yellow, black and white. We are all precious in his sight, all of us. This is the greatest symbol of the love of God in the universe, the sacrificial atonement of Jesus Christ. And then this is used, burning in somebody's yard as the greatest symbol of hatred in our country. How in the world could we have allowed this to happen? The greatest symbol of love to become the greatest symbol of hate in a Christian nation. After slavery was abolished, during that hundred years of Jim Crow laws, they began to realize in the South that they could not handle these plantations without slaves, and yet the slaves were gone. And one southern state after another began to pass laws making it legal to arrest African men and women, mostly African men, but not only African uh, American men, but also African American women, to arrest them for really no reason. They could be walking down the street and get arrested. There's nothing they can do about it. There is no way they can contest it. They will always go against them. And then to be used as free labor on plantations. And I know some of you are saying to, to me, come on Mark, do you really think that happened? Oh, it happened. It happened right here in Sugarland. In the sugar plantations around us. Right here in Sugarland. I, I put in your student notes this phrase, uh, look up Sugarland 95. Sugarland 95. And I ho- don't look at it now. I want to preach to you. But when I get through with this sermon, when look up Sugarland 95 and read the story, I dare you Sugarland 95 tells the whole story of what happened here. I was invited to come to the commemoration service and I invited Juan Carlos, Pastor Juan Carlos and Pastor Libin to join me and we went to that commemoration service and to my total shock, I knew none of this history. To my total shock, I began to discover this was happening all over the South. It's not the same today. Thank God for the the, the civil rights movement of the 1960s and Martin Luther King Jr. And thank the Lord for that happening. And there's so many things that have been fixed and corrected, but not everything. And that's what the unrest, the struggle is about. That is the wound that was opened up yet again. This is not part of my history. It's not part of my story. It is not part of my heritage. But if it were, I'd want other people to know. And you know why I'd want other people to know? Why we need to know? Just like the reason why after the Holocaust that the Jewish people erected all of these museums about the Holocaust and wrote all these books about the Holocaust so that it would never happen again. The Holocaust took place in the 1940s in Nazi Germany in which six million Jewish people, actually more than six million were rustled up. They were just, they were arrested for no reason. Taken to concentration camps, work camps, where they would spend the rest of their life and systematically exterminated six million Jewish people for nothing other than being Jewish. Jewish. And when World War II was over and Nazi Germany Germany fell, they began to erect museums and write books. And the reason is because they don't want it to ever happen again. And the only way to keep it from happening is to let people know continually what took place in history. I've been to one of those museums in Jerusalem. I walked through that museum and by the, I couldn't get all the way to the end. By the time I got about halfway or three quarters of the way, I had tears coming down my cheeks. I saw those pictures and how they had been abused and treated and how they'd been used for scientific experiments like mice and the stories of their lives that I just could not, I couldn't stop crying. I left that museum and I have thought about and seen those pictures in my mind over and over again. Those museums need to happen. Why? Because the, the heart of mankind is desperately wicked who can know what the Bible says. And if you forget those lessons of history, history will come back. It will begin to emerge again with new generations who do not understand what has happened. And the same atrocities will happen again, not just with Jewish people. By the way, there is, over the last 10 years, an emergence of anti-Jewish behavior and attitudes across the world. I'm scared to death of what will happen. Because this is the heart of mankind. And the same thing is true about our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ. It is part of, of entering into each other's story. You remember last summer when I said to you, I, I'm going to ask you, we've got such a diverse church, call someone up. We were, we were all in our homes, couldn't go, get out. Call somebody else up in our church, someone you know who is of a different race than you, and just hear their story. Not just African-Americans, but anybody of a different race than you. Hear their story and share your story. It is part of us caring for each other. It's it's part of us understanding why why people respond, react the way they do. It's coming into their life and understanding what they have been through, what they have walked through. It's part of caring for each other. And it becomes the foundation of standing for each other standing for each other caring for each other is what Paul and Jesus are talking about when they talk about unity and being one it means that our unity goes past smiling at each other as we pass in the hallway or nodding to one another but we actually get to know each other we get to understand how people feel and, and what they've experienced and coming to know each other. You know what I've discovered in ministry, that most of the time, many of the times, whenever I do a funeral, I don't even, and here's a person I'm doing the funeral of and preaching a message in the funeral of, and and I love them, They, they have been a friend, but I don't know nearly their story until the funeral, and suddenly I know so much more about them, and I always think to myself, why am I just now knowing this? Part of the whole idea of being one is we actually come to know each other below the surface. And we come to care for each other. Notice what else Jesus said in his prayer to his heavenly Father in John chapter 17, verse 22 and 23. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are. I in them and you in me, all being perfected into one. And then... Then the world will know that you sent me and will understand that you loved them as much as you loved me. Here is what Jesus is saying. Our unity with each other. Our unity with each other convinces the world that we have something to offer when they see us cross over these, uh, these uh, lines of national uh, different countries and different languages and different shades of skin, and they see us arm and arm with each other because we have one Heavenly Father and we are part of one family, it gives to the world hope in the midst of the hatred, in the midst of the anger. It gives this world a symbol that there is hope and that hope is in Jesus Christ. It is Jesus, it's the cross of Jesus Christ that tore down those barriers that mankind has erected. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, It is the blood of Christ, it is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that tore those barriers down, that we are equal and stand equal before the throne of grace. And we are one family. But if we don't do this, if we do not live out what it means to be a Christian, We damage the name of Jesus Christ. It was Gandhi who was a Hindu who read the New Testament, read the the Gospels of Christ and read what Paul had written. And he came to the end of reading the New Testament. He said, I would be a Christian except for the fact that I met one. God tells us what he wants for us in in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. What is he telling us? I want you to be like-minded. It doesn't mean that we agree on all the topics. Good grief, you can't even agree on all the topics in your home, much less in an entire church doesn't mean agree on all the topics. It means that there are three things we do agree on. We love Jesus Christ, amen? I don't care what religion, I mean, what what background religion would make a difference, but I'm talking, I don't mean what nationality, our language, our color of skin. We love Jesus Christ. Second of all, that we love the word of God and we strive to live our lives by it. And third of all, that we have one purpose, the purpose that God has given to us, to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ so that every person in this world can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and have the opportunity to know him. These are the things that he has told us to do, to be like-minded. Second of all, that we love each other. That word that is translated, the loving of each other that he uses in the passage, is koinonia, which means fellowship, and it means to live life together. It means that we share our lives with someone else. you got to do more than nod uh, when, you, when you pass each other. you got to do more than smile when you pass each other. you got to come to know some people. And we share life together. That we love each other and that we have the same purpose. This is the idea of Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. A couple of weeks ago when I taught on this passage, only conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come or I'm not able to come, but I just hear, I hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. One spirit, one mind, striving together, our arms locked in with each other. We're in this thing together as the family of Christ. Paul gives to us in the passage four things we must do to build a deep unity among us. He says, first of all, think about others and not just yourselves. Philippians 2 verse 3, do nothing from selfishness. We're all busy. We've we've all got things to do. But to not just think of you, think of others. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. This is the most loving, selfless church I have ever seen in my life. Always reaching out to care for somebody else, love somebody else, be there for someone else. And I'm saying, attaboy, let's keep doing this. This needs to be who we are, that we think about others, not just ourselves. Second of all, but we are also then being humble, not prideful. Philippians 2 verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Mark Twain is the one who said temper gets us into trouble, but pride keeps us there when we have broken fellowship with each other, when we get frustrated with each other, to own up, to humble ourselves and, and to go and apologize and receive the apology and, and to forgive even if you don't get one. To be humble. This is what he says in James chapter 4 verse 6 and 10. But God gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud. When we are arrogant, when we're proud, I will not apologize. I will not get this thing right. When we are proud, God stands up to us. God removes his grace. God opposes the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up. The third thing he says, build each other up. Notice how he puts it in Philippians 2:3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as better than himself. It doesn't mean put yourself down, it means build somebody else up. It means a willingness to be second place. And put someone ahead of you here's the fourth thing be others centered look at verse 4 do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others that word that phrase look out look out is the Greek word skopos which means like a telescope It means the scope of a rifle. It means that you can see something deeper than you could normally see. You and I, when we go past each other, we sometimes, oftentimes don't give each other uh, even a thought, but to have scopos, it means that we are actually caring enough to look. Hey, it looks like you're going through some hard times. What can I do to help? It means seeing the need of others. Recognize that other people are helping you and be the help for others. Captain Charles Plum was a fighter pilot on the U.S. Kitty Hawk in the Vietnam War. He was good. He was one of the best, maybe the best on, that, on the Kitty Hawk. Charles Plum was a fighter pilot and the fighter pilots on those ships were just at the top rung of respect on the ships. He was given 75 assignments and he conducted every single one of his assignments as a fighter pilot with excellence. But on the 76th mission, his jet was blown out of the sky. Just before the, the jet exploded, he ejected. And he came down because of that parachute. He came down safely and landed on the ground. He was captured by the Viet Cong. And he was put in a concentration camp for six years. But as a prisoner war of six, after six years, the war was over. And he was released and went back home. Plum was at his home with his wife at a restaurant. And they were eating at a restaurant one night when suddenly this man, he didn't know who this guy was, walked up to him and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you, aren't you Captain Charles Plum? Didn't you, weren't you on the Kitty Hawk, a fighter pilot? He said, yeah, that, that's who I am. He said, yeah, you, you flew 75 perfect missions, the 76th one, you were shot down, but you landed safely. Because of the parachute. And then you became part of a prisoner of war, but here you are home. And, and Plum said to him, How do you know this? How do you know me? How do you know all this happened to me? And the guy said, Because I was a sailor on the Kitty Hawk. And I was assigned to pack your parachute for every one of your missions. He said, I did my best. I wanted to make sure that if you were hit, that you could get out alive. And though I knew you got captured, I was so proud that the parachute worked. Plum stood up. They hugged each other. They talked for about an hour. And then they went their separate ways. But Plum that night couldn't go to sleep. He kept thinking, "What, what would that man have looked like as a sailor all those years ago? And I wonder if I ever encountered him and he began to do an evaluation i wouldn't even have shaken his hand he thought i wouldn't even have acknowledged his presence he was at the bottom of the rung i was at the top i would have just ignored him wouldn't have known who he was wouldn't have cared but that man packed my parachute that man saved my life And Plum said that what happened to him as a result of that is he began to do an evaluation of all of his life. All the people that had packed his parachutes, all the people that had contributed in his life that he had ignored, he had passed by, he had never acknowledged. And yet they had made him who he is. And he said, he made a vow to God, I will never pass another guy up who packs my parachute. And I'm asking you the question, how many people have been packing your parachute? How many people have been helping you and blessing you and teaching God's word in your connect group? And every week are studying, trying to prepare so that they can teach the word of God in your connect group. How many people have stood up and taught you to worship and led you in worship? And, and how many people have you passed at the doorway welcoming you here? We're so glad you're at here at Sugar Creek today and walk through the door and welcomed you. How many people in your life, any part of your life has been packing your parachute? To recognize people that are blessing you and to be a blessing in their life. This is a part of what it means to be one, to understand their story, to care about others, to bless their life and acknowledge when you've been blessed. Jesus said, I'm asking during COVID, during racial unrest, during the political mess, that you be one so the world will know that I'm the answer. Let's pray. Father, I pray today, you prayed Jesus just for us. You reached down through time and you looked at us. And I thank you, Father, that you prayed. Would you, Sugar Creek, be one? Would you be willing to enter into each other's story? Would you be willing to care about each other? Would you be willing to understand each other? And lock arms in arms with different nationalities, different races, different languages, arms in arms, knowing that we together are the family of God. With all the others who know Jesus of all time. That we would show that to others in our life. That the world might know that Jesus is the answer. Father, I pray for those who are listening online, those who are present in person on our three campuses that this would be a moment, that do not know Jesus as Savior, that this would be a moment that they'd come to give their heart to Christ at our Next Step centers, on our Next Step center online, that Father, there'd be many who would pray and give their heart to Jesus Christ. I want Jesus as my Savior. God, use us and bless us as one body